to Mount Manitoba, the home of NottonHallOfFame.com, and I'm Kirk Buckner. I run, I own NottonHallOfFame.com and the sister sites, the fictitious Athlete Hall of Fame, the fictitious Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the United States Athletic Hall of Fame. You can vote on that now, www.NottonHallOfFame.com forward slash USA. And with me as always for another episode of This Crap Was on National Television. This technically was on national television there, uh, is uh, Chris Bourdais. How are you, Chris? Hey everybody! Hey Kurt. So I we we uh I threw this one at you because we both sort of met uh through our connection to pro wrestling through my project. I'll promote that really quick. Uh, Chavo Guerrero Instant Classic. You can get that on Amazon. It's about the late great Chavo Guerrero Senior. I helped him write his autobiography, and but mine wasn't featured on in in the Washington uh, Post <laughs> like Chris Chris's project. So please. Tell everyone. Yeah, so Lady Wrestler is a documentary about the Black women who integrated pro, integrated pro wrestling in the 1950s. And what was the best line they came up with? Yeah, so the Washington Post, when they ran a story on it, was Hidden Figures of Wrestling, which was yeah. cool. It's a great way to sum it up. Yeah, absolutely. And I strongly recommend that. And hey, if you can get a two-for-one deal. We should work that out, a two-for-one deal. Yeah, we should. Yeah. We should have uh, thought about a Cyber Monday deal back uh <laughs> Why well, do they don't have Thanksgiving in Canada, right? They we do. We just have an oh, appropriate do. time in October. <laughs> Harvest season, right? Right, right. Well, but yeah, yes, yes, we do. It's uh, same tradition. Just the football's not as good. But speaking yeah. of football, <laughs> football players have transitioned into the silver screen for many, many years. Uh, I was thinking of the people before our, our subject, uh, Jim Brown in the amazing Dirty Dozen film, uh, yeah. where he was incredible in that. Later on, Alex Karras may not be the great actor, but they, they he had something. Mongo, Webster, yeah. yeah Mongo, very popular and, show in the U.S. Yep. Uh, so Alex Karras did, did very, very well. Uh, Jim, uh, no, Fred, Fred Williamson, who was in a lot of exploitation films. Yeah. Uh, in, in the seventies, Merlin Olson. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so was Father Murphy. Uh, he did a show. I've been trying to find that pilot, mm -hmm. and I can't find it because like he was pretty good in the Little House on the Prairie and the Father Murphy bit, but he also played an Amish person. And oh it wow! Was a show that went nowhere. So it was basically it was called Aaron's Way, and Merlin Olson. Uh, moves to California with his family because his daughter sort of married uh, a non-Amish person. 
<laughs> so fish out of water sitcom. Yeah, the fish out of water. And like the one clip I could find, it's up. And, and on this episode, Aaron tries to get a driver's license. And then the, he goes to the DMV and the DMV says, well, do, do you have do you have any identification? No. Well, how do people know who you are? I say, this is me. I'm Aaron. I see why I didn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. And I only discovered it because of, of one of the other shows I do. Merlin, it was the classic sports review. And Merlin Olson's got the Amish beard. I'm like, why does he have an Amish beard? And then I looked up. That's why. I remember, I remember his name. I don't, I can't picture him, but so I have to, I'll have to look that up. Because yeah. thinking of him with an Amish beard, I can't even picture his face. So, yeah, it's just uh, but you know, these these are all guys who actually all at the same time too. We got to mention Dick Butkus and Bubba Smith. Oh yeah, yeah Bubba but, Smith was the Police Academy, right? Uh -huh. Yeah, because I, I got a request when I was mentioning this uh last night uh when i did another or two nights ago and i did another show and it was it was a show where we're, we're acting as if we're the pro football hall of fame and while we're counting votes i'm doing mm -hmm. all my plugs yeah and, and then one of the person said well you got to do the show that had uh, dick butkus uh bubba smith and joe pesci oh my god yeah joe pesci yes before he was before he became the i guess the tough guy who was still five foot three but he would beat everybody up Okay. Uh, yeah. Sort of like how he was in Home Alone. I guess so. I mean, I, I remember the name of the show. It's called Half Nelson. And I, <laughs> I guess it was a play on his height. I, I don't remember. I just have a vague recollection of it. I'll try to find that one. But, Half Nelson before the Ryan Gosling movie of the same name. Oh, I didn't even know there was a Ryan Gosling. Yeah, it was a, it was a like one of those ultra hip indie flicks in the like aughts ah uh, yeah i i think I, I think i tapped out with him after la la land well it was before what la la land all right then i don't know when i tapped out on him <laughs> <laughs> but here we have lyle alzado now the other football players we mentioned none of them have the range of let's say i don't know insert great actor here yeah they all had something Lyle Alzado uh, was one hell of a football player, not a Hall of Famer, not never was going to be in the Hall of Fame, but he captured the screen. He played for the Raiders for a long time. And when you were playing for the Raiders in the early 80s, you were a celebrity. Because they were built that they were built that way. He was a fierce player. Uh, as it turned out, a lot of that was based on the steroids that he took, which we will sort of get into later. But it made him a very animatic person and on the field he was a must-watch person so if you're an his agent you're thinking and you see all these other football players you're thinking i can do something with him so here we have learning the ropes uh a show that was it's a canadian show but i guess helped produced by the national wrestling alliance uh so the american company and what I read, it was like it was syndicated throughout 85% of the American population. So uh, when I say this crap was on national television, technically I'm right, because this ran, I want to say CTV in Canada, and in 85% of your markets in the US. 1988. Now, did you, you ever heard of this show before? I hadn't. So when you say it was, so this was syndicated? In the US. Okay. I remember when that used to be a thing, when syndicated sitcoms, it was like an 80s, maybe it went into the 90s, but I do remember that. 
I don't remember this show in particular, mm -hmm. but I yeah, I remember syndicated sitcoms. Yeah, I think it was around the same time as like Small Wonder and She's Yes, the that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Uh just this one just didn't take, or I guess maybe with the parent company, it just wasn't worth it. Uh so we have Lyle Alzado. So let's just get right into it. Lyle Alzado plays a teacher. And it be, but it starts off with cold the cold open of people being interviewed on the street. And I recognize this as Toronto. Uh, like, what do you think of the mask maniac? And some people love him, some people hate him. And then I guess they're trying to be tongue in cheek where one guy says, I wouldn't waste my brain cells watching wrestling, but I watch boxing. <laughs> Meanwhile, we, we, you and I wasted our brain cells watching this. Uh, I have vague memories of this as a kid, probably because I would watch anything that had wrestling on it. And I knew then it was awful, but you'd still watch to see what wrestlers showed up. Uh, well, what did I also write down here? Uh, so, you know, somewhere Chris is, is thinking, why is Kirk making me watch this? It was only 22 well, minutes. Well, full disclosure, I didn't think this was bad. I thought really? it was a, I thought it was a typical 80s sitcom. It was, and Lyle Alzado was no worse as a single dad than Tony Danza was on Who's the Boss? Former boxer, right? Tony Danza. Yeah. More yeah. acting chops, definitely, but... Mm -hmm. Not what you would call, you know, Shakespearean level of craft. But I think though, with one difference though with Danza, because I read from some of the interviews from his co from the co-workers on the show, uh, namely Cheryl Wilson, mm -hmm. uh, who played the the other female teacher. Alzado gave it everything he had. Okay. He so they say he was trying pretty hard, uh, but he didn't have the benefit of sort of working with other great actors. Tony Danza was under the learning tree of Judd Hirsch. Well, and Judith Light. Judith Light was, you know, was an amazing yeah. theater theater actress. So, yeah, right. I can see how those people, like, elevated him and taught him and mentored him. Yeah, and taught him timing. Yeah. You know, and you know, also, too, is a different production. Like, who who produced uh, uh, Taxi? Uh, the same people who did uh, Cheers. Oh, yeah, I can't think of his name offhand, but I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, very legendary TV producer. Right. So, I mean, like... It was a totally different production. So yeah. Danza's, that was his first ever role, I think, period. Okay. So they, Jim, with a, Jim Burroughs, was that the? That's the one, yeah. Okay, Jim Burroughs, yeah. Right. So he had all that that benefit. Uh, Alzada had none of this. Like, I, I couldn't even find who produced this. I, mean, I didn't look that hard, to be honest, but it wasn't. So anyways, we have starting while Alzado. Oh, yeah, go, you talk about cheese, right? So it opens up with the cheesiest 80s song I've ever heard for a TV show. Yes, that I agree with. Learning the ropes, learning to <laughs> fight. And yeah, uh, but also starring Yannick Besson, who I don't know if you know who that is. No, I don't. Okay, so this guy has made, he, he's the exception of the rule. He never made a minute going south of the border. Okay. Uh, he he actually is on a show on CBC right now that's run since 2008 called Murdoch Mysteries. Okay. So I'm looking at him right now online and I don't recognize him. Okay, yeah. But the show has done well in Canada. So he's, he's been a living actor without doing anything successful outside of Canada. You mean a working actor? Yeah. You said a living, living actor. actor. Sorry. Yeah, I <laughs> Most actors are living from what I gather. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. Well done. But yeah, so 
I, meaning he, I don't think he had to take a second job somewhere. So I, that's, I should have right. worded that better. Uh, but yeah, she, she's done, uh, or he's done very well. Uh, Nicole Stoffman as the other, as the daughter, Ellen. Now, if you watch the early years of Degrassi junior high. Okay. That was Stephanie K. Wow. Yeah. So like that, so that was, uh, what a, so she was in the so she was in the first two years of Degrassi Junior High. When they went to Degrassi High, she didn't join because she wanted to get to a, a regular series. That okay. didn't work out too well for her. No, and I couldn't find except for like one other credit of anything else that she ever did. So, yeah, that was sort of a swing and a miss. But then we have uh, Cheryl Wilson as uh, Carol Dixon. Don't know much about her. Richard W. Farrell as the principal. This guy was annoying as all hell. Barry Stevens is Dr. Jerry Larson, who wasn't in this episode. <laughs> Apparently, he was the neighbor. And Grant Cowan is Bertie Baxter. And I guess that was the announcer during the match. So the first scene, we just go right into it. Mark the Sun is watching wrestling on TV. And sure enough, it's the masked maniac. And under that is Lyle Alzado, but it really isn't. Uh, that was Steve Dr. Death Williams, who, uh, right. who did that in the ring. Uh, actually, Steve Dr. Death Williams would also die of cancer, much like Lyle Alzado did. Mm. But yeah, a perfect body double. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So like that, that was a, that was an excellent choice. And he's going up against Arn Anderson, who by this point, I think had already left the NWA and was about to start competing in the uh, WWF, but whatever. Uh, Mark is into it. Uh, and the commentator is saying that the mask maniac should be thrown out of the sport. The dad comes down. That's Lyle Alzado as Robert Randall. He says he doesn't like his son watching wrestling. And he's got the suit on. And he's he's looking very uh, stuffy. You know, it, it's... If that's our first introduction, you just think like, yeah, it's, it's uh, sort of playing against type. But I guess that's the whole point. Uh, the daughter then arrives. And then all the, it was just bad bickering, like bad jokes where... She says, I've, uh, I've got to go get, get made up so I can look more like Madonna. And then Mark's response is, you'll look more like Michael Jackson. Which <laughs> mm -hmm. <sighs> I had to think about what time this was. So yeah, 1988, that was when he turned into the bad phase. Yeah. When like right after that, I think a lot of us were going, yeah, something's not right. Music was still tight. Yeah, yeah, his his surgeries got like progressively more extreme. So this was when he was, yeah, it was starting to go into the like extreme makeover, if you can call it that. Yeah, because I, I think, I don't know about you, but like the first time I saw Bad, mm -hmm. and I, I felt like I hadn't seen him in a while. And it's like, yeah, whoa. Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really have that reaction. I just... I just kind of thought he's continuing to not look like how he did in the seventies. It just, to me, it was like, he had already kind of jumped the shark, so, so to speak in the, in the appearance. Uh, amazingly, you got, you got to hand it to him for him to have as many off, off music uh, issues that he did and to still put out good music. That could almost overshadow a lot of that sometimes. Yeah, it definitely got overshadowed for sure. Yeah, but no, man, this music could sometimes overshadow some of the, like I. It's oh, I, you're yeah. you're saying the music overshadowed the tablet. Sometimes, and stuff. 
sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you got to be. Well, it, well, it's funny you mentioned bad because on that album, he had the song Leave Me Alone, which was all about being harassed by tabloid yeah. people and even showed him like lying in the hyperbaric chamber. Right. Yeah. yeah where, where he's yeah. trying to make fun of like, a, he's trying to make fun of himself, but I guess he wasn't quite self-aware. Or well, I don't think I don't I don't think he was making fun of himself. I think he was like telling the critics, "Get off my back." I think it was all about. Compl- I don't think it was self self. But, um, but, but in the video, they're even sort of like showing uh, Michael sleeping with the elephant chain, like like in, a, in the chamber, and then he's got the bones of the elephant man and all this other stuff. So, like everything on that video was stuff that they were saying about him. Right, he was like saying. I'm a lawyer. Here's exhibit A. They're saying this about okay. me. It's not true. Here's the, it wasn't, oh, isn't this funny? I, you know, walk, walk, you know, I'm making fun of myself. It wasn't like an attempt to be weird. If you do that too much, I mean, like his nose would fall off. <laughs> yeah. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, moving right along here. Uh, uh, let's see. Well, Mark's acting like a petulant child because uh, he because he's asking for money and uh, Robert's the kid's got to be I guess played as sixteen because he can drive. So this will get a job and he's acting like a petulant little shithead. Like he's upset that he's that he gets to go to a spoiled rich school. He's going to a prep school, and he's the only and he'd be the only one there who would have to work. Wah. Uh, and and then uh, R- R- Robert Randall Alzado says, you know I. He says, oh, well, I, it's, it's embarrassing that I have to live on this impoverished uh, job. The house looked pretty good to me. Yeah. So a hell of a lot better than a lot of sitcom houses. I mean, when you ever watch a married with children, like and Al was always poor, that house looked pretty, de- pretty decent from the outside. But yeah, it definitely looked like a middle or upper middle class house. Yeah. Because like they, were, they were in the suburbs of Chicago, right? Yeah. Oh, well. It's a sitcom. I guess also, yeah. too, it was also the Reagan era. So, I mean, people's ex- expectations were a lot higher of what you're supposed to have. Well, also, I mean, look at Friends. I mean, three struggling roommates, you know, three three guys, three girls, and they can all afford these expansive apartments. In, in the in heart New of York. New York City, yeah. Yeah. Well, they tried to give one answer, because I think they said that was one, when was rent controlled. Okay. But... Uh, that doesn't necessarily explain because uh, Joey never the first half of that series never made anything, right? Anyway, all right. So the next shot we have Randall in the classroom. We don't even know what he's teaching, and then the principal shows up. And I I I say that I guess they're they're trying to uh, channel Les Nessman the way they dressed him from W. Oh, right. uh, he says I've been hearing some great things about you, and for whatever reason the other female teacher shows up. That's actually his niece. Uh, and the doofus principal says, you know, we need a vice principal. It's between the two of them. Carol, who was just standing by her man, says, uh, just give it to Robert. Don't you want a, want a promotion here? Again, granted, there was sort of nepotism, but he turns it down, correctly so, because there's no money in it. Don't blame him for that. Principal leaves and Carol's hitting on him, and this is really awkward as all hell. Uh, I was not aware watching football in those early times with Alzado that he was a sex symbol. Did, am I missing something? Not that I know of. Okay. <laughs> well, because she's gushing all over him. Apparently they went to college together and she was crushing on him then. And she's going for it again, even though he says that his wife is in England studying. You know that. 
Now, I, I read another review on this from another site, uh, which also allowed me not to have to watch a bunch of other episodes, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> as it turned out, uh, the wife would eventually leave him. So, because, okay. yeah, the backstory was uh, in another episode, he sort of explains how she gave up her dreams to help him get his PhD so that he could teach. And okay. now he's doing this so that she could take a scholarship that apparently she won 25 years ago. That's still valid. I, You work at Ohio State. Does, is that how that works? That there's like indefinite, like open yeah. scholarships? I don't think so. Okay. Didn't think so. Maybe it's different in England. And I'm sure an English viewer can tell us that if that's how it is in Oxford. But that's the reason. And I'm thinking, well, why don't they just make him a widow? Because they right. don't want to get too depressed. I mean, okay. Like, what difference does it make? You know, because then also, too, by doing that, then you've also established the will they or won't they, the Sam and Diane. Mm -hmm. That we know will work. Yeah. So they eliminate that. They make this They make this female character. That's the only time we saw her in this episode, I think. Uh, yeah, which is why I thought he, I mistakenly thought he was a single dad. Yeah, well, that's what some of the reviews would say, but that's not the case. Okay. I mean, but basically, but she did eventually leave him, but. <laughs> well, at least they didn't do the uh, classic sitcom thing of having someone go up the stairs and never come down and they never are mentioned again. Oh, uh, yeah. So we, that was the Chuck Cunningham syndrome, I believe they call it. Yeah. And then six, the little kids, six on Married with Children. And uh, the, the most tragic one of all, because uh, it would be Jamie Winslow. Oh yeah. <laughs> from from Family Matters. And yeah. I read in interviews where she basically said, like, uh, so so what am I reporting to work? Her family said that, oh no, we cut you. Wow. And yeah, it was a useless character, but that was the writer's fault. Like, yeah, I don't know. And I and tragically, I think she went into porn. Oh, okay. That that actress. Interesting. So, yeah, I don't think the actor who played Chuck Cunningham did. I, I don't know what happens. I mean, it's a, it's a brutal business. Yeah. Uh, so then we go back to the hall, and Ellen's got a geek friend who's drooling all over Mark and bad lines. She goes over to him and hits on him and says, hey, here's my pickup lineup. I'm thinking of getting another hole in my ear. So he says, okay. All right. Fine. The, the 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 editing was was all over the place too. Uh, so back at the house, and they're watching wrestling again. Mark Mark and the friend are watching wrestling, and it's the Maniac versus Ric Flair. So I was doing a bit of sleuthing. There's a website where you can pretty much find almost any card that ever existed. So they were taping these in Georgia. Okay. So this was in front of not a Canadian crowd. So this was shot where you can find the results where it's Ric Flair pins the Mask Maniac. And I guess they didn't really tell the crowd what was going on. So they just treated it like it was a regular match. Like here's some guy in a mask and he's going up against a star. Which that's probably better, I suppose. You're getting a more genuine reaction. So are you saying the whole show or just that just that scene with Ric Flair was taping? Uh, just the wrestling was taped. Okay. In yeah. uh, Flair, might, uh, the interview that Flair did after might have been in Canada. But all the wrestling okay. would have been taped in Georgia. Okay. 
So, or Georgia or Florida, but I'm pretty sure it's Georgia where they were doing a lot of their taping then. Okay. So, but yeah, everything was shot in Toronto. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't think that to be considered a Canadian show, you could tape the whole show in the U.S. and just distribute oh, you're it. Right. It, it can't be. It's got to be shot in part of the CanCon yeah. rules. But yeah. this stuff was was all clipped there. And I guess because they may, they even showed every time that it was like in a TV sometimes. So maybe that's oh, right. not doing 100%, I suppose. Right. But, I mean, you couldn't get a crowd like that in Toronto at that point because the NWA wasn't running in Canada. Mm, okay. So you couldn't, uh, or, or it was, but not in Toronto, not in that area. So nobody would know who that is. I mean, as big as Flair is, a lot of people, it was WWF country. Okay. So it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have done well. They wouldn't have got that honest reaction from the crowd. Uh, so it's, um, the commentator sa says like, the maniac eats puppies for breakfast, which, they're, you know, they're making him like he's this animal character who doesn't really win a lot of matches. He never, from what I understand, he never won a match uh, through the series of this show. Uh, then it's like Birdie doing a promo, Birdie Boxer doing a promo with Ric Flair. It's just Ric Flair being Ric Flair. So I wonder if they shot that in Canada. So we just had to fly up for that. I was reading that the guy, oh, Dr. Death, he said he only got $2,000 for everything he did. For the entire or season, rather, yeah, for the entire series, and one shot he got whacked in the back, back of, in the back with a chair. He says that was the most painful two thousand dollars I ever made. Wow! So, uh, and, and all the all the ones who flew up there, according to Jim Cornette, I don't I, I don't know how accurate it is, and he's not even sure himself because he says he wasn't going to do it, that he was going to fly in for Toronto, but it was just something that the, they did. That the guys guys would do, uh, I guess, just for a different payday or just to say they were on TV. Okay. Every episode would feature a different wrestler that would sort of like uh, come up, and so this one, I guess, was Flair, but uh, Flair didn't have any interaction with uh, the Maniac other than, well, except in the ring. Uh, so Flair does a two-minute promo. I mean, it's just this is almost like time filler because this does nothing to advance the plot, but it helps the people who wanted to see this in the first place. Because you're trying to balance res wrestling fans. Because this is 88. There was a hell of a lot of wrestling fans then. I think this was the same year in February 1988 that they set a record. It may not be of overall viewership, but of overall people. When Andre the Giant pinned Hulk Hogan on wow. national television in February of that year. On NBC primetime, 8 o'clock. Wow. So just putting the sort of that climate out there of why they probably thought this could potentially work and right. why they were sort of doing that. Uh, Maniac walks back into the locker room, which I guess is now in Canada, and uh, gets a book handed to him uh, from uh, Rugged Ronnie Garvin, uh, or at that time it was Hands of Stone Ronnie Garvin. Uh, so an, an actual NWA wrestler at the time, and he's there. He's uh, seeing how, like, how much he enjoyed this, uh, this, this book about the French Revolution. And then the maniac takes off his mask and oh, the gasp, the fake gasp from the crowd. It's the it's it's Robert Randall. Right. All right. The next morning they're getting ready for school and Mark is uh Mark's late because he's getting a ride from his friend's dad and he's looking for a tennis racket. So everyone's gone, and then sure enough, he finds the masked maniac mask. And he puts two and two together and goes. 
Oh my God, my dad's an animal. <laughs> Which then brings to the question, like, why does he need to do this? Later on, we'd find out that it sort of helps him sort of pay the bills, but mm -hmm. how much is he really, how much is he really making if he's not going on tour? Yeah, good point. He's only wrestling in the one town, whatever yeah. town this might be. Not making that much. But anyway, uh, Mark uh, Mark goes and goes there and he, he gets upset because his friends are talking about the Ric Flair Masked Maniac match. And they call the Masked Maniac a loser and says he must be super ugly under that mask. And Mark shoves his friend. And then the nerdy principal picks, kind of picks him up by, you know, by the scruff of the collar. Mm -hmm. And drags him to uh, to Robert Rand to to his father to punish him, because that's how most schools work. <laughs> and he uh, suggests that maybe we, we you know, the, the the most painful place is underneath the the thumbnails. What kind of character is this? So uh, the sadistic nerd, like I, I don't want anything flushed out about that character. I don't think anything ever was. Uh Mark says he found the mask, and then Alzado can't even pretend to act nervous. He, I don't know if that's him or just bad directions. It, it, I think combination of both. Like you're you're trying to get get this guy to to play ranges he doesn't have. Right. Uh, basically admits that uh, after a bit that that he is that, but he's doing that to help uh, help the kids with college. And the backstory is. It's actually kind of plausible. Uh, he was approached by some guy at the health club, and some of these wrestlers have been approached by people in a gym. That's mm -hmm. actually, I think, uh, where some of them did get their start. Some mm -hmm. were when they were bouncers at a bar. All right. Mm -hmm. it, so that didn't actually sound as implausible as it was, and then he found that he really liked it. Uh, but here, in other scenes, this is where it gets sort of weird, because as people are looking back, it was weird to me the first couple of times I would watch this that he would actually talk to the guys he got he lost to. Right. You know, like yeah. they didn't sort of uh, break kayfabe back then. Right. So even though everyone knew it was uh, predetermined, but here's an organization like the NWA that, in deference to the WWF, said like, "No, we actually wrestle. We're the tough people." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but here they are all in a show where. They're just uh, playing poker with their with the people they, they're about to go wrestle, which really happens. But yeah, it was for 1988. This is very bizarre. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, so be it. Uh, back at the house, uh, Mark is being annoying uh, as they're having dinner and he's making bad puns. Well, I hope you don't have to wrestle with this decision. And. Uh, and this is uh, because he does because uh, Robert doesn't want the daughter to know why I don't know why why this has to be a secret I I have no clue he's probably right because he knows these two can't keep their mouth shut <sighs> the next so the next scene Ellen asks Mark where Dad went tonight Mark can't keep a secret he's just grinning because he's just like I know something you don't know na, 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 na. Mm -hmm. He spills it, uh, but because he was blackmailed when it turns out, what, what was the blackmail? That he used to post, uh, used to paste hair on his chest. <laughs> okay, I, 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 if I, I believe the other two things that he was going to blackmail, black, she was going to blackmail over was uh, 
uh, love letters or a, a, or a fake girlfriend, which seemed far more embarrassing than fake hair on a chest. Right. But okay, that was the one that did it. And then they're at the arena. Good thing the tickets were available, so I guess it didn't sell too well. And she's just sort of disgusted watching her dad in the ring. And it's back to the same footage of that match with Arn Anderson, because I looked at the only wrestled once. Well, okay, fine. Let's clip that. That's not even the most egregious thing ever done on 80s TV for editing. And then they go into the locker room. Like, how does he get, how did he get into the locker room? Good question. Two kids. Like, uh, the father never really acknowledged his kids to the wrestlers. Right. So it must be pretty easy. Right. But, okay. Anyways, uh, she's handling the news actually really well. It's one of those things where you just should have told me, which, I mean, they're both in, they're both in high school. There's nothing wrong with that. I think a 14-year-old mm-hmm. can handle that. Uh, and as she sort of accepts that, uh, Garvin's got Mark up in a gorilla pl- press, and uh, Robert introduces to everyone to their friends, like, these are my friends, and this is my other job, and you can't tell this to anybody. Okay. Fine. And that's and they all they hug they embrace and that's the end of the episode. And every episode of thereafter wasn't much different, where he's just trying to keep his secret from from the principal and from apparently the, then the neighbor knows and then it would just be some goofball wrestler who would show up and other plots. Well, I have to say this is weirdly art imitating life because the women that I interviewed for lady wrestler special Ethel Johnson mm-hmm. didn't tell their children they were she was a wrestler and the the way her children found out she was a wrestler was they saw her on TV wrestling and the reason why she didn't tell her children that she was a wrestler was because she was afraid that they wouldn't be able to concentrate in school that they'd be too worried about her like she actually said I think her exact words were oh mom is out there getting beat up and for them, for the women, I can understand because wrestling, especially back in the 50s, was looked at as like something that's not ladylike. Mm-hmm. So that's why they kept it a secret because it was like they were doing this um, kind of subversive thing that women aren't supposed to do. Even now, women athletes aren't as valued as, as male athletes are. So I understand from a Black woman's perspective why you would keep your wrestling career a secret because it wasn't something that many women at all did, sports mm-hmm. at all. But it makes no sense for Lyle Alzada, other than he thought that he it would be, it'd be different if he was like a college professor, like, oh, I won't be taken seriously. I won't get tenure. I won't get my research papers published because they, they, will, they won't take me seriously. But if you're just, te- it's high school he teaches, right? It yeah, makes uh, no high school and a prep school. Yeah, yeah, there's no, I mean, plenty of high school teachers double as like a sports, you know, one of the coaches of the high school sports. So it makes no sense why he's keeping this other than if it's the same reason he doesn't want his kids to worry about him. But like you said, they're in high school now, so they can handle it. I I think, you know, to a point, I mean, do you want to keep that from the students to to your kids? No, to to other students. You know, you want to be taken seriously in the classroom. Uh, There was a case 15 years ago uh, where a guy named Matt Stryker, uh, who was a teacher, uh, but he was fired because because the secret was found out, and that actually uh, that I think that got on some type of uh, 
the, the, I guess the version I wanted to see TMZ. I don't even know if that was on then, but it could have been a current it, affair or something like that. Yeah, so it did get some national attention and actually got him a job in the WWE for a while. But the difference there was he was lying to this to uh, the faculty or to his bosses and said, and he was taking uh, time off and saying I was sick. Oh, okay. He wasn't sick. He was actually okay. like doing a gig somewhere else. Okay. So he was basically fired for for lying his ass off, mm -hmm. not for uh, for being a pro wrestler. I mean, it, and it all, in the end, it all worked out for him. I mean, he did achieve his dream, but you know, there, there's it, it's a preposterous idea, but it's no dumber than Hogan's Heroes that ran five years. Yeah, yeah, that's even dumber. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to watch that, actually. My dad said, oh, no Germans are this stupid. <laughs> no, I'm not I'm not kidding. Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. he was, uh, we were, I was talking to him the other day, because, uh, you know, the this, this he might pass by the time we, we do, we, this airs. Uh, Pele passed away, or is, a, is, is in bad shape. Pele uh, hasn't passed away a yet. Soccer player. A soccer player. Brazilian soccer player, yeah. Yeah, and he was in a movie with Sylvester Stallone and Michael Caine called Victory. Oh, I've never heard of that. Yeah, the plot of the film is they're all POWs in World War II, and they, they all the POWs are going to are going to play the Germans in a game in in France. Uh I guess in German occupied France. And the story is that it's basically like the great escape. They're all going to escape at halftime, but you know Michael Caine rallies everyone, no, no, we've got to beat the Germans. And uh, so, watching all that, I mean, it's it's, it's a goofy storyline. Pele's uh, obviously one of the POWs, and uh, and I remember Dad watching this because he loved Pele. Because like Pele says, okay, here's my strategy. I'm just gonna go this way, <laughs> and it makes no soccer sense at all. But my dad says, that's Pele. He can do it. Mm -hmm. But his, he was mostly upset because Sylvester Stallone was the goalie, and he says, no American can play goal. They suck. <laughs> Horrible impression of my dad. He's got the German accent, but but I can't do a German accent. Despite my patronage and despite even the hat I've got on today, but I can't wow. do it. It's not as good as your Roseanne. <laughs> I don't I don't even think I could do that again. It was like <laughs> I, I channeled her for a moment. It was a, it was a it, interestingly enough, my stepfather is German American. He's not okay. not like your father, like an immigrant. He's but his family heritage is German. Nice. Mm -hmm. there you go i knew we had something else in common yeah so yeah that was uh learning the ropes uh i i think it's it's not a good show but you didn't hate it as much as i guess i did i didn't hate it and yeah. one thing that it brought to mind was one of my favorite movies um <laughs> And don't laugh when I say this. Flashdance. Uh, no, what, what was she like? Um, steel worker by day, dancer yeah. by night. Yeah. And she didn't keep. She didn't keep either one a secret. Like she didn't try to keep the fact that she was like a, basically like a high class stripper. She didn't keep that secret from her coworkers. That you know she didn't. She like because her boss came to see her dance, <laughs> so she didn't keep it a secret like Lal Alzado did. But I'm just wondering if the producers of Learning the Ropes had the like oh you're this by day you know you're something completely different by night that kind of concept in their head because 
Could Flashdance was one of the most, you know, biggest cultural pop culture phenomenons of the 80s. But I, you know, who knows? Maybe they, didn't, they weren't thinking of that at all. They were just trying to find a vehicle for Lyle Al Alzado. And R.I.P. Irene Cara. Yes, yes. For sure. Yeah. Someone who, who I thought should have been bigger. I don't know why she wasn't. Well, there was actually an article when she passed away that said she sued her record company for back okay. royalties. And she said she was blacklisted after that. So that would explain it. Okay. Because yeah. I kind of wondered, like, you've got two of the big, what the, the one of the biggest songs in 1980, one of the biggest songs in 1983. Yeah. How do you go from that to not much of anything? And yeah. she would have been under 30 at that point, right? Right, right. Yeah, she was in her early 20s. Okay. So, all right. So still, tw she she was an actress, so she could have done a lot more. I yeah. always wondered sort of like what happened to her. Yeah. So basically, uh, her management kind of uh, did a number on her, huh? Well, the record label. She wasn't getting the royalties that she said she deserved. And yeah. she actually got a judgment, but she said she went bankrupt paying the legal fees. The amount of times that I come across that when I do that other show, I do uh, How the Hell Will This Go Number One. Yeah. We come across that. And there's uh, one person I talked to, uh, Her, she was the was is the daughter of Johnny Taylor mm -hmm. who went number one I might have told you this before I might not have so stop me if I no, have okay uh so she was the daughter of, of Johnny Taylor but never met him because Johnny had uh three illegitimate kids Papa and, was a rolling stone yeah <laughs> and he went number one uh in 1976 with Disco Lady yeah uh -huh. and the story behind him was he died not just penniless but pretty much owing everything but she managed to go, she managed to get back to uh, the record company and 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 just like got, got some national attention through Rolling Stone. And through that story, I mean, they just sort of like, I guess up, came up, came up with some new accounting and here's some money that I guess he was owed. But through the, the dealing that they normally did, like uh, they said, well, you know, your dad borrowed a lot, which very well might've been true. And I'm sure their version of the accounting is accurate. And it's story upon story upon story of artists who just don't know any better. Yeah. You know, and happens all the time. So, yeah, it's sort of sad uh, that that's sort of what happened to Irene. I guess she mostly got disinterested because she could have still played other things. Well, she did. She had a group. Um, she formed a group because she, like, moved to Florida. I don't know if that's, you know, because she was... Um, she was Afro-Latina. I don't know if she had, like, that's where her roots were, were Florida, like, that's where her family, you know, immigrated to. But um, she formed, like, a group, I think it was called Hot Chocolate or Hot Cocoa, something like, like a, like a huge, like, girl group. And you Hot Cocoa, because Hot Chocolate was that British band, right? Oh, right. I believe in miracles. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, but she she did a lot of live performances with that group, and, but they only made, from what I read in the obituary, they only did, like, one album. Mm, okay. And that that wasn't that didn't really go anywhere commercially. Yeah. I mean, well, music changes so fast too. Yeah, I mean that that early '80s scene was all over the place, and like five years later, you've got to be in. I don't want to say necessarily pigeonholed, but it was a lot harder for. I don't, I don't want to say a generic pop sound because that's not what she was, but it was something that would cross through multiple yeah. layers and. 
Well, she had a very soulful voice. So even when she was singing a pop song, like the theme to Flashdance, it had that soulful delivery to it, sort of like Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston could, could sing, I want to dance with somebody. And because she had those gospel chops, she took basically like a frothy pop song and made it like a, you know, very soulful da dance tune. Same with Donna Summer. Well, I suppose I should get back to this thing or just wrap yeah. this up. Um, right. Usually I say whose fault this is, and I think we'll... Well, yeah, I don't. Maybe we don't have the names on this, but like, who's who's mostly to blame for this not working? Is it the time? Is it the producers? Is it the writers? Yeah, maybe the fact that it was a syndicated sitcom. If this had been on, like, maybe in the USA, if it had been on like USA Network or something, maybe it would have taken off. But I don't think any, even Small Wonder. I don't think any of those syndicated sitcoms from the '80s really became like big because they just. They were on at different times. It wasn't like a show on a network where it's on the same time every week, you know, or they were on at odd times. Cause I remember small wonder being like, I'd be channel surfing like on a Saturday afternoon and there would be small wonder. It wasn't even on in prime time. Yeah, so I never watched that show, but I always wondered like, how can this work when the, when the robot keeps growing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember the theme cause that just sticks in your head like a, like a gnat. She's a small animal. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, An earworm, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lyle uh, unfortunately passed away less than three, three or four years after this. Wow. Uh, from brain cancer. Uh, he blamed it on the steroids that he took. Whether that was the case or not, I don't know. Uh, but it was unfortunate because, like, I, after sort of doing this like I don't know when you when you do this like on YouTube too do you, do you get sort of like a bunch of recommendations that you would normally never get because of this project that we do not really but my viewing habits are all over the place anyway so I I get recommendations for a lot of crazy things yeah I I, I just now stopped getting recommendations for Beachcombers episodes <laughs> oh that's funny yeah but one of the recommendations I got was one of the last interviews of Lyle Alzado and he's going okay. to Firestone and, you know, he's got the do-rag because he's got no hair, mm. uh, no eyebrows, his, his facial hair is just sparse. Yeah. And, but more shocking is you saw like just the massive shoulders on him. They weren't so massive. And so he couldn't have been, would have been way younger than us. Yeah. You know, at that point. And so he was trying to basically tell people not to go on steroids. That's, no. I, don't, I don't know if some people saw that and decided not to. And if they did, that you might've saved some lives with that. And I hope that that's the case. I don't know, but he died shortly after kind of tragically because nobody said anything. You can't find anything bad written about Lyle Alzado other than, yeah, he was a fierce, maybe sometimes dirty player. Yeah. in football. Okay. Films. Yeah, and that whole issue with steroids and overtraining and, you know, going to the extreme to get the results you want, whether you're a bodybuilder or in football or whatever, mm -hmm. um, that that continued because I just came across an article in the Washington Post, not to drop the name, <laughs> drop the name of the publication again, but it was all about how several fair, bodybuilders... I dropped it first for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for the, the tee up. But it was all about how several bodybuilders have died suddenly recently mm -hmm. because 
either was steroid related or it was from just extreme, like their hearts, their hearts gave out because of the extreme overtraining. Yeah. So that continues to be a problem. Well, I mean, also too, I mean, that's, that carries over in wrestling. Yeah. Like how, uh, Eddie Guerrero, uh, here, I'll plug myself, Chavo's brother, uh, yeah. died at 37. And uh, just from, I believe, an enlarged heart and just, and you look at what his body was and he was only five, seven. They all look larger than life. Yeah. But you're not supposed to be built like that. And then also too, he had his drug issues that he'd beaten, but he was probably still juicing. Yeah. Probably still, like, I, I don't know for sure, but probably. And uh, in, in, in that happens all the time. And that's a, that's a big reason why a lot of wrestlers died young. Uh, the lifestyle, the steroids, uh, football players die young, way younger, and just the beating that they take. But it's the all all the combination that that sort of uh, transpires now in bodybuilding. Yeah, you're exactly right. I've been watching. Well, not I don't I don't watch bodybuilding, but I know of a few in the last year, like of big names. And again, because you're doing something to your body, you're not supposed to do. Yeah. And there's money in it. Look, uh, look at, uh, do you see the liver king? I never even heard of this guy before. Oh, I heard about it. Wasn't it like a documentary or something? Uh, no, he's, he's some influencer, right? And he basically. I have heard about it because John Stewart talked about it on his podcast. Okay. Yeah. So he's this yeah. ripped. Yeah. This guy who's like ripped everything. And he said, this body's completely natural. It's all for eating meat. And then he gets, bu <laughs> and he got busted because that wasn't true. Right. Or maybe it was that he was only eating meat, but that's not all that he was eating. He was ingesting. Right, right. He said he was completely clean. And that was just, you know, I guess uh, last thing, kids, trust your eyes. Yeah. I guess with that, uh, what else you got? What else are you working on here that we can promote? Where can everyone follow well, you? Well, thanks for asking. So I just finished or just about finished post-production on my first feature length narrative film meaning fictional film called things are tough all over okay. about a family struggling through the great recession of 2008 so i'll be sending that out to the festival circuit in 2003 i'm sorry 2023 i'm so, i didn't know that you were doing that yeah well you know i filmed it in 2019 yeah. right before the pandemic oh, okay all right so yeah. and then then i was it took me forever to like i was going to try to edit it myself then i finally just found a, a great editor and um we've been like working, you know, over um, long distance because he's in Florida, I'm in Ohio. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, we've been doing like cut after cut after cut and yeah. finding it. Yeah. And, yeah, so I'm excited about that. Well, if that. If that makes it to the Toronto one, I'll go. Yeah, and you know what's, thank you. And you know what's weird is that um, I was like, uh, I'm, I was glad that I didn't get it finished in time for it to be released during the pandemic because it was weird it was sort of like talk about art uh, imitating life it was like both parents were home their kids end up going to a charter school so they're all home sort of <laughs> almost like quarantine driving each other crazy and I was like I don't want to feel like I'm like trying to capitalize off of you know the pandemic and then now in America all this talk about a recession is coming I even saw an article in the New York Times like the economy is doing fine. Are we talking? Are we trying to talk ourselves into a recession? And so here's yet another, you know, another, uh, you know, recession theme. When I when I didn't plan it that way. Mm -hmm.
So shot in Columbus? Shot in Columbus, du doubling for Chicago. Okay. Yeah. So we did some exteriors and stuff in Chicago, but it's all, the rest of it is all like, in, you know, inside the family's house. Like, so did, it could be did, did you make a cameo in it? My hand made a cameo. I did a, <laughs> okay. I did a, um, so I, there's a scene where um, the, the, the wife wants to be an author and there's mm -hmm. a scene in a bookstore. So you just see somebody browsing a, a bookshelf and it's my hand browsing okay. the books. Awesome. Yeah. So that was my Alfred Hitchcock cameo. Love it. I would be excellent as sort of like uh, the idiot white guy in any film. I just <laughs> want to put that out there. Uh, I, 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 Next time we need an idiot white guy, I'll, I'll definitely call on you. <laughs> I'm thinking of a whole pile of jokes at my expense right now. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you, Kirk? What, what's cooking uh, on your Oh, it's mostly just everything on the site right now. So... Uh, not in Hall of Fame.com. We're going to be promoting the United States Athletic Hall of Fame really hard in the next uh, few months. Hopefully, that's going to be pretty big for us because nobody came came up with it. So it, it's it, it's amazing how America loves its sports. We love the Hall of Fames, but there's not an actual U.S. Hall of Fame that branches all of it. So that's really right. going to be my focus for 2023 is getting that known from a lot of people. Uh, just and just sort of continuing a lot of the stuff on, on the site. Uh, we've been doing a lot of mock committees that have been going really well and just growing whole, growing the brand. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, so like from one from from one house to another, right? Right, right. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so I actually heard somebody use the term. In fact, it's a it's a quote unquote influencer I really followed named Tom Billu. Mm -hmm. He used the term hustle porn, like people, you know, watching motivational videos and mm. inspirational content i'd never heard that term before no i never either uh, yeah like i i wasn't sure because like when i said okay what word do i use i mean well i mean we're both sort of hustling to do what we really want to do you know and just in a different way uh but yeah uh and who knows i might get back to uh there, there's like three big book ideas i've had for a while that i've been sitting on i might just sort of like go back to that but Every time I sort of start going going to that, then I feel like I'm leaving behind the main project, you know, which is the site. I mean, it's it's a child now to me, you know, just trying to keep it growing and keep keep it fed. Yeah, you're doing a good job. It is growing. I appreciate that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, no one wants to hear me whine. First world problems, right? Right. <laughs> All right. So with that, uh, wherever you are, wherever you are, wherever you may be, stay safe, everyone, and thank you for watching. Thank you for listening, and take care, everyone.